Plenty of time for Stroud. Directing receivers, flips it to the end zone, caught, touchdown! Marvin Harrison Jr. making a huge impact. Milton taking a shot downfield, he's got a man open, and it's into the arms of Squirrel White. Nix, pump fake, takes off, out of the clear, Bo Nix, there he goes, he won't be caught, he's done it again! What's going on everybody, welcome to uh, the first in a long time uh, Burning the Red Shirt episode here. Uh, excited to get with you guys and chat a little bit about college football, obviously talk a little bit about rebranding of what we're actually doing, some conference championship stuff. Um, but largely I am making my first appearance of the, of the season since week zero, just, I've gone into a, a deep, deep hole of, of working for the man. But, uh, Andrew, I don't typically like to do this, but I have not actually seen you in a long time. How are you doing? How's the season been? Are you uh, laying and sleeping on a bed of money yet? Or is that in like week 13? Dude, not the man, right? You, you're you working for the men. Multiple multiple um, <laughs> men are are paying your, your salaries at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, things, things are looking good for, for me. I definitely like, I, I gave up on the idea of tracking all my plays in a spreadsheet because I'm just I'm just vomiting too many uh, like prop bets every week to try and actually capture it. Uh, and, and like, it's just too much of a waste of time uh, to try and do it. So uh, from an accounting perspective, I kind of just am doing cash basis. Uh, and at the end of each week, I'll kind of tally where I'm at um, and all my accounts and see how doing things have gone really great this year. Um, only one down week this past, this past week was awesome. Thanks to, to the, the, the dog, dude, we got a shout out TBD, right? Our fucking, our fucking homie paying paying the bills, paying the mortgages, et cetera, et cetera. Dude, what what a real one. Do you think that um we have a TVT opportunity again with Christian Bo this week? With Christian who? The, the oh pick the quarterback? pick quarterback? Yeah, there's props up for I, him. I I, I, uh, I hit his unders right away. Um and I mean, we, I don't think it's a bad idea because he's bad to begin with, right? Yeah, like, he's really bad. Um so worst case scenario you still have a, a good shot at it with him not you know actually performing what do you have him at what's the what's the line so it opened at two uh on like the non-fanduel there's like in terms of sports books there's like two main markets right fanduel makes their own lines and then everyone else pretty much takes from the same place it's i forget the name of them some it's some company that just pushes out to all these different places um, and then the non FanDuel opened at 224 and a half and I grabbed that and then FanDuel put out 226 and a half and it's down now to like 211 in one of the spots 206 in another because everyone just keeps banging the, the, the under and but the I like he he's thr- like I can see why he keeps getting listed above 200 but like their past game and just pit in general their offense is so broken it's like all right he hits a couple explosives to bub means or Kanata mumfield and all of a sudden his passing yardage looks okay every week um or most weeks right like he had against the fsu i think he threw for well over 200 because he hit like a 90 yarder to mumfield um but like this past week against syracuse i i bet his under at 236 and a half and was feeling really good about it it wasn't looking good at the half and then he turned the ball over three times in five plays and got pulled um i think he's gotten pulled a couple times at this point 
And like, there's definitely talk about whether it's going to be him or Nate Yarnell. Depth chart says him. That's meaningless, in my opinion. Uh, right. Uh, in terms of just like playing out po- the, the chronological progression post Saturday uh, after they lost to the Syracuse tight end on Saturday. Uh, Narduzzi was like, we'll see about the quarterback. Depth chart comes out Monday. They talked to him after that, and he's still noncommittal. Um, most likely he probably starts, right? But like that, there's a, there's lots of different ways to win that. But um, the, I mean, BC's defense is not good, which is not helpful, right? But um, you could, like, do you really get the sense that Pitt just wants to go out and throw the ball around? Uh, like, I don't. Um, so you can win that a few different ways. And the only way you lose it really is if he had some annoying explosive plays. So did you, did you see Narduzzi's quote on the quarterback situation? I've seen it. I've read everything over the last, like it is uh, is truly, truly incredible. I don't know if my buddy Dave shared this with me, so I don't know if this is exact wordage verbiage, but it's essentially the effect of reporter asking who the quarterback was going to be. And he says, I don't know. I don't talk injuries. And the guy says, okay, well, are they hurt? And he said, I don't know. Are they? And the reporter <laughs> says, you tell me. And Darnuzzi says, I don't know. We'll see Thursday night. I mean, it's like the most incredible bit of college football. Like that is yeah. a guy suggests something potentially then retracts it and is super vague and doesn't move forward with any sort of comments. And that's just kind of how it is in college football. Could so. we see Jerko getting some run against his former team? That he was Narduzzi was asking about that as well and kind of just like said, like, we're trying to win the game. Like, if he's the best player, he'll play. But like, maybe there's, I mean, it's possible. Yeah, why not? Give him some snaps, give him some snaps in passing downs, right? Let him throw a few passes. That'll help the under, too. But let's get there. Yeah, I don't know. That, uh, that situation could be, uh, great for you. I think the under feels fine. We have it at like 220. So, yeah. That is uh, when you originally got it, it was decent. You know, it wasn't anything crazy, but right. you mentioned Syracuse, man. So I, every week, right. I'm doing projections. I, I go into the box score. Um, and I, I went into the Syracuse. I don't watch every game, obviously. Uh, there's just too many, especially when it's like Syracuse. Who did they even play at BC or something or Pitt maybe? Uh, yeah, they did play Pitt. And uh, I look in the box score and I'm like, holy shit, what am I looking at here? Um, which was just incredible. Do you think they do the wildcat again? Because I, I presume that's how Dan Villari was used, was the wildcat, right? Yeah. I didn't watch any of the game. And at one point, like, I was just tracking what was going on when Pitt had the ball because I wanted to see how, if uh, the QB was going to go under. But then I saw just Schrader at one point in the second half was one of two for like X amount of yards. I'm like, oh, I guess they just ran it like 50 times. And then afterward, I was I heard what had happened with uh, the tight end just running the ball like crazy. You would think they'll they'll enter this the game coming up this week with a game plan to try and do the same thing, right? But now that teams know it's coming, I don't know. It's tough to replicate something like that. Um, I added him, and I'll probably play him in a league, the dude Viari, um, just because at tight end, like there's not a lot. It, of, it, everybody's hurt. Yeah, if you can capture upside, like what am I more interested in, like a floor of like eight to ten points, or do I want to shoot for the moon and hope that he can get like twenty five? 
So I'll, I'll probably just roll with that. Yeah. I, you know, my favorite part of that was essentially it seemed like they did not, they went wildcat because of QB injuries, obviously Schrader being one of them. And then you see Schrader do a backflip on a play. I know it wasn't <laughs> his legs that were injured, but it's, it is comical to think a guy that is too injured to throw a football essentially is doing backflips mid game. But Schrader is like a human highlight. His, uh, Earlier in the year, he had an incredible play action, right? I mean, the guy is must-see TV. Yeah. I assume assume he has more years, too. Um, So, perhaps. I'm curious. We can take a quick look. I mean, everybody's got an extra year, right? It's it's like the rule of dating. You know, it's like you look at his years and then you add two or something like that. You just, you know, (laughs) there's something sneaky in there. Oh, yeah, he's definitely, ooh, I don't know. That could be borderline. He didn't play in 2020 uh, or didn't throw in a, a pass, at least. Uh, speaking of Syracuse, so I, I tweeted something today, which is Wednesday, uh, about teams I do not trust. Just essentially saying I want to do a video on it in my other gig. A couple teams I don't trust. You shouldn't trust betting, props, et cetera. I think Syracuse is one of them. Because I think that you just, they could turn back to a regular offense because it's like, oh, we can't sneak by him anymore with this, uh, allowing a defense to game plan. Um, do you have somebody that in your head is like, there's no way I would bet on anything with this team? I just don't know what the heck's going on. The, from a game, like a game perspective. So, where I, like you said, it's Wednesday, Wednesday morning right now. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff that's coming out on boards uh, over the course of like yesterday afternoon, overnight, today. And one game that I looked at that it seems like it'll be a fun game, but I don't know. I didn't have a good feel on what the play is. Florida, Missouri. Um, every time I bet against Cody Schrader, you can imagine how that's gone. Like I like a couple of times this year, it's I've looked at his rushing problem and like, he's going up against a good defense or like when he went up against Georgia's rushing crop opened in like low seventies. I was like under for sure. Georgia Rundy, let's go. And at the halftime he had like 25 yards and then they decided they just wanted to try and cover and ran him like 15 times in the second half. And that was exciting. And I lost an under betting on his rushing under also, I think against LSU earlier this year where he had like a 70 yard run. That was fun. Um, but I know you, mentioned in one of your videos the idea of looking to hit bird luther burdens under if it opened in the mid 90s it opened at 76 and a half on FanDuel. but everything else in that game i, I was like okay uh graham mertz mid 250s cook brady cook 280 brady cook rushing 33 the florida receivers 50s to 60s the other the the secondary Missouri receivers were like 40 to 50. I was like, I don't know. I don't see anything I could play here. So at a, from a game perspective, that game just felt untrustworthy. Like I have no idea what's going to happen between like teams feeling let down teams uh, playing up uh, above, maybe above a potential a little bit. So I was like, I'll just walk away. Yeah. I, that, that burden line is, I would say it's too close, too close to the number. Theo Weiss though. I think like maybe Theo Weiss over could make sense. We have him around 64. If if you were to play uh, Burden one way or another, what would you do? I think I would. I this is going to counter what I said in the video, but like if I gun to my head with the yeah. number at seventy six, I would rather go over than under. Like I would go under. I I would think that 
hopefully maybe he's healthier and they slain. The thing is like that Florida defense has been giving up points in bunches. Like they mean, yeah. K- didn't KJ Jefferson win Yankee a slate against Florida? Like, <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, if KJ Jefferson can look great, like I presume that Missouri can move the ball. But so, he uh, against Tennessee, he had three pat catches for four yards and like right away. He didn't, it's not, I thought, I assumed he came out of the game because, like, just tracking the box score throughout the game. He, uh, like, he didn't, his stat line didn't move for like three quarters. And then I guess he added another catch at some point. But look, then looking at play by play, like, he was running all the routes, right? So that doesn't necessarily, I don't know. I guess you can interpret that shit however you want. But, like, why, what about that tells hints at a guy trending upward? You don't know. Yeah, I, you know, because you would think in a in a game where, well, they were against Tennessee, they were they were up, so they yeah. didn't necessarily have to push it. But like, he's such a part of their offense that quick screens and easy passes are not like atypical. So, and they're easy in lead. So, you wonder if that uh, if it's still a lingering. I think it's a lingering issue. Yeah, and other parts of the offense look good, but if you force me to at the seventy six number, I would go over just with the thought yeah. that maybe he goes over someone the, tweeted about him like being a, a little baby during the game so i don't know maybe he came out for like a few <laughs> I mean, he's, like he's heard every single game right it is lingering like however you want to spin it up but yeah i mean he played the second most passing snaps uh yeah. least played you know so maybe the angle there is weast if the number was like 48 50 something like that like i oh, we have weast to 64 that feels like a pretty good over um the team that I'm that I am very sketched out on, Arizona State. I think there's just so much stuff going on with them. Their AD just resigned. Not that a football team really cares, uh, but like they had. Have you seen the box score from their game last week against UCLA? They yeah. forget had a typical amount of passes, but then uh, Skadibo, the running back, Skadibo, whatever you want to, he had three attempts. Jalen Connors, uh, Conyers had two attempts, and then. He also had six rushing attempts. So what is this offense actually doing? I am in the, you know, maybe it was low scoring and that's why, you know, they played a different run focused <laughs> offense with like some wildcat. I don't know. They're three and seven. So they're, and I think they're not even bowl eligible regardless. Right. So like, yeah, they don't have anything to play for. Dillingham could go young. Dillingham is like the type two that is very, I mean, he's super vocal. His interviews, You've mentioned it to me, like the guy is a psycho yeah. uh, verbally, like he's just all over the place. I would be surprised if he's just like, screw it. Like I'm playing a bunch of young guys, you know, like and then Jordan Tyson's now playing some, you know, some snaps. I don't know. The whole thing is a mess to me and I would not touch it personally. And they play Oregon. Yeah. So, I mean, that will definitely be a game where we get props for, um, Across the echo chamber, right? You, you hear a lot of praise for him in terms of how he's been able to navigate circumstances, particularly injuries um, with the team and just having them not totally check out and quit. I still kind of hold a grudge for that the, that garbage where he started Rashad at the beginning of the year, but you got to give credit where it's due in terms of having a competitive uh, team at this point in the year, given all that the team has kind of had to go through. I would assume, not having watched any of the game last week, that a lot of what he's doing from a game game planning perspective is a result of like I'm pretty sure their lines all banged up. Um, so like a, a standard drop pack passing game is probably not going to play out too well. So they're trying like 
it even went watching the Rashada bullshit that he was doing at the beginning of the year that dude can scheme up um, a guy open on the first read or, and scheme up uh, stuff that isn't going to be a total disaster for like, if he put me back there at quarterback, I think we can get a few yards one way or another. Um, probably not use, utilizing my armor or my legs, but like maybe I'll catch a snap and we'll use some motion and we'll get there. Um, so from that perspective, like the guy can scheme up a game plan. There's like little doubt about that there. It would be interesting. So it's difficult to trust them in the sense, like when you, for, through the lens of what you're, how you, you're saying you're right. Like if you're one of those droolers, that just is the only way to play a prop is to bet the over. Like I'm not betting any overs on that team at all, but like, I think they're spray the board op- under opportunities on that team. Um, right. Considering how they're not, they're not even just, just distributing targets or rushing production. They're distributing passing game. Like who is thro- triggering the ball uh, production as well. So that, feels like under opportunities uh like if we got a nice uh board of like okay a guy or two uh, rushing props a couple guys receiving props and then quarterback like spray the board probably come out profitable if you on, do the, unders. on the other side of the field i am under the impress i am creating this conspiracy that i've spoken and thought of so much yeah, in my yeah. head that i think bucky irving doesn't play on saturday and the reasoning is He's been dinged up the last couple games. They they play Oregon State next week, and it determines whether or not they make it to the Pac-12 championship. And they win that one. They beat Washington. They're in the playoff. Pretty much, I would I would think pretty much guaranteed. There's some probably one-off situations where they don't make it. Do you think Bucky Irving? I mean, Arizona State's Arizona State. It's like a 24-point spread. Do you think Irving plays? Do you think I'm just making things up? Uh, too much coffee this morning. Where do you sit with Bucky Irving? I think that this game has potential for it to be like scary for Oregon. Uh, if like just going into into Arizona State, uh, maybe things don't go like I could just see it playing out closer and being a little a little scary uh, for them. Um, I don't think that he'll all out sit like they they do so much annoying rotation. Like imagine if like, the, you, have you bet Bucky over props this year? I have. Yeah. A few times. It's kind of terrifying, even though he's amazing because the dude might go three drives without a snap, let alone a touch. And then, but every time he touches the ball, it's like, all right, we're probably getting 10 plus yards and he's going to look fucking sweet doing it. Um, and then he'll, they'll just give him like three to four carries in a row and then, Oh, okay. We're over. Good to go. Um, last week against USC, the whole thing with the prop provider for DK and friends getting like something messed up with like the API connection or whatever, right? Everything gets pulled down. FanDuel just blindly puts up bad lines. Uh, and uh, I grabbed Bucky over at uh, 83 and a half, whereas like DK had it like at 103 before it got put down, uh, before it came down. So I was like, I was sitting pretty feeling good. I was like, this is the easiest cash ever. And then Bucky starts doing his thing of not getting any snaps, gets hurt. Like, and I go to bed because it's like at 1 a.m. at this point. Last thing I see is two guys helping him. Like, he can't even put weight on one foot. He's walking along the sideline. I'm like, this thing's deader than dead. And I wake up and I check the play by play instead of going straight to the box score because I'm uh you, you know what it's like. Um, you wanna you wanna kind of play it out like that. And I see like I can't I couldn't remember exactly what time in the game i went to bed because i was i was feeling pretty good 
Um, but I see like a one yard carry late in the third quarter. I'm like, I don't think I saw that carry. I think this dude came back in. And then I see, I like keep going through the play by play and I see like bang, 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 four carries and for like 40 yards right in a row. I'm like, all right, cash that shit. I guess they shot him up with the good stuff. Um, so we, we were all set there and he ended up with like a hundred and change. Right. So that was nice. But, um, I think, I think he plays, I think possibly like, okay, if things play out very well for them, they go up, um, 20 plus points. Maybe he sees even more of the Bucky type role and just kind of sees just a few series and then shuts it down. But I don't think they'll sit him. So I can see potentially it kind of being not a trap game, but like Arizona state kind of like you had mentioned, like just kind of doing something different and weird to keep the game a little bit closer than they would probably like the first couple uh, quarters. So you'd be more inclined to go like a Bucky under or a Jordan James over potentially. I don't think I would play anything with Bucky this week unless. Yeah. What if that I, numbers, what if that numbers one Oh one? Yeah. That's what I was going to say. If it, if it was like over a hundred, maybe I would play the under like if forced to choose, but I would probably just put my phone down rather than play anything for him. Um, if we got something like, like we're get how, what we've gone the last couple of weeks with the Louisville running backs where we get like, Jawar Jordan at one line and then Granado at like a, a lower line. We got something like that with J- Jordan James and Bucky. I would probably play an over on James, uh, but that would be my, my favorite way to, to play that. Okay. What uh, I mentioned to you earlier in the week, uh, Brock Bowers, that line that I thought was really interesting. And that, I think that goes into just the overarching, we have to speak Georgia. It's literally in our contract. Uh, so Georgia plays Tennessee. The line is 10. I feel like that's a little bit too small or too, too low of a line. I think I'm not impressed by Tennessee at all. Um, they're just kind of skating by with like a good run game and adequate enough defense um, controlling the football. They, it, their usage of Joe Milton has been very weird. I don't know if it's like uh, they're just being so conservative. It feels like, um, but I think this spread really lies on like Brock Bauer's health. If he's like full go, like to me, this 10 is way too small of a number. And I love his over, which has actually moved up since we spoke. Uh, it was 52 and a half when I reached out to you about it, yeah. at least on underdog. And then it's now 55 and a half. Were you a part of that moving line there to move it to 55? No, I've stopped playing or the last couple of weeks at least. And I've tried, I try to show in resistance and I'll probably try and show even more resistance now that we're getting into more meaningful games in terms of just trying to not play any props involving Georgia because I like, I was playing Carson Beck overs for a while and it was fine, but like, it sucks. You're watching the game. You're in for your team. They score a rushing touchdown and you're pissed off. Like it's not a good way to live life. I've, I've done it too many times. Like I didn't even enjoy the natty win because I was, I, I, bet wrong on all the props like uh so trying to be better about that uh from like a mental health perspective just want to root for my team and see us cash more dubs and more natties uh but if like that it does feel like a a smash right brock uh over 52 and a half 55 and a half feels good too um he ran he played all the snaps last week right most snaps of any uh georgia receiver tight end whatever you want to say uh the they're like he is definitely of that archetype where it's like okay 
big games, like they target their best players more, makes the most sense to play him in those games. It's not, it's a very imperfect uh, strategy. I largely subscribe to it, especially if I'm kind of, if, if I feel there's like a tipping point uh, to it. Um, do you think that the atmosphere in Tennessee is going to be like, crazy Tennessee Alabama last year crazy Kurt Matt Corral against Tennessee at in that night game two years ago which was like the best atmosphere I've ever seen for a game watching on TV um or do you think that the fans are going to be a little checked out after just seeing how things have played out especially last like week like what a bummer I I don't think it'll be Tennessee Bama but I think it'll be pretty it'll be pretty ruckus um I mean, even when I go to Auburn, Alabama games every other year, and even when like in Auburn, Georgia games, like the Georgia atmosphere this this year at Auburn was great. And Auburn is very average at best, right? Yeah. So I think it's very possible that Tennessee fans come out ready to roll. But I think at the first real sign of this game being out of hand, they'll disappear. I think like if Georgia is manhandling them by half and it's like a 17 point, like let's say 21 to six or something like it could be, it could be an empty student section for sure. But are I you going to Iron Bowl this year? Yes. It's kind of like this. I was talking to an Ohio state friend of mine, which is uh, unfortunate. And <laughs> I'm like, I, every other year it's like, I miss a top five matchup to go watch Auburn Alabama play. And uh, so, yeah, I'll be at the game. The only benefit is as a Michigan fan that the Michigan game's at noon. So I'll be able to watch the first three quarters. And then I just got to pray the service, you know, in <laughs> Jordan Hare is good, which it's been yeah. better this year. So this year's Iron Bowl has all the makings of all right, the line is like 17. And somehow that game is t- uh, within a field goal with two minutes left. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> I, I don't know what to think of this Ar- this kind of mini win streak. They haven't really played. They played Arkansas. They played Vandy. Yeah. Not all that appealing. Um, but the way they've won has been impressive. You wonder, you know, the whole thing with the Georgia game was like, oh, Robbie Ashford's in. I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. And like, it was kind of successful to an extent, but it, they just were so, I, I don't know. It was like, uh, it was like, uh, I'm, thinking of every Auburn coach except for Hugh Freeze's name. There we go. Um, it's like Hugh was like, I just want to cover the spread and just keep this kind of <laughs> close because all the play, they didn't really throw it downfield. They didn't really mix it up, but I don't know. I think Alabama is like top notch. Maybe that's a good segue. You know, what is, I would assume both Alabama and Georgia went out. What do you, what do you give the chances of Bama beating Georgia or do you like Bama as uh, against the Bulldogs? Uh, it feels pretty much like a coin flip. It should I don't know, be, but if, yeah, I mean, it's gonna be. It would be an awesome game. I it would not surprise me at all if Bama won by a touchdown or more. It wouldn't surprise me if we can stop Milrow from kind of uh, doing his thing and we end up winning by twenty. Like I, I have no, I, I have no idea how to cap that. Yeah, that I think it'll be an impressive game. An exciting game. The one, uh, what's funny with Alabama is I have a Texas friend, which is also unfortunate. And he is like, well, we have the best win in the season. And I'm like, first of all, yes, now it, it looks like that. But like, yeah. do you remember how Alabama looked? Like they, right. they benched their quarterback um, and then brought him back. So 
It's crazy know, that dude. if Georgia loses that game, we're not in the playoff. Uh, yeah, I mean, you would need a lot of help. Yeah, which I, it doesn't feel like we're going to get it. There's, I think there's just probably too many pieces that have to come into yeah. play, right? Like you would need, um, you know, you would I probably starts with Oregon and uh, Oregon State, like Oregon State winning. You would probably. Which could happen. Which could happen for sure. And yeah. then you would probably need like Washington. I'm sure they play Washington State, right? Like yeah. lose to Washington State. You yeah. would need, you know, maybe some Michigan, Ohio State help. I don't know. That one feels. Texas is losing at Iowa State this week, right? Texas now Texas losing would not surprise me like Texas falling out of the picture would not surprise me so that one wouldn't be shocking especially since you know they have the challenging Iowa State game who do they end the season with you know Texas Tech Texas uh, I don't know about that one but in the Big 12 championship they will play a two loss team so that you don't have to worry about that team making it into the playoff because of it yeah so if that one of the way the you, you, yeah, I think you just covered like the the ways the, that Georgia could lose to Batman and get in, right? The Pac-12 does Pac-12 things. Texas loses one of the next three games. I, I think what? Texas is not winning all three of those games. I It wouldn't surprise me if they lost one of them. Texas Tech, though, doesn't feel like the type to lose to because... I don't trust that quarterback. Not that I trust Iowa State's quarterback. I don't know. They just Texas Tech doesn't feel intimidating to me com- based on like all the times I've put money on Bahrain Morton <laughs> to do something and he hasn't. Yeah. Um, I think one fun thing has been like this Mountain West Conference has been interesting. You know, it looked like Air Force was going to ra- run away with it. But sure enough, UNLV could win the conference if they win this weekend against him, right? Yeah, that conference and then let's parlay back to the um big 12 to talk about tiebreakers as well there the the i tried to spend a little bit of time figuring out what's going on with tiebreakers in the mountain west and my head started spinning and i, I gave up like i i have some money on fresno to win it and it's still it still feels okay but like mikey king can't go six quarters without getting another injury uh i think he got concussed this past week and across the greater landscape of CFB, like their backup QB situation is, is fine overall. Like Fife can win games. Like they're not going to lose to New Mexico this week. I forget who they face the following week. I feel it's, I feel like it's a little more treacherous, but um, I feel overall pretty decent about Fresno getting into the t- title game. Like the back, the, you could talk for an hour about all the interesting components of the mountain West title race. though. like UN, UNLV. Okay. Like they're, like props to them but you their last two games right isn't it san jose state and air force like that is not easy and especially considering how i know it's night and day versus previous uh kind of administration at unlv but how they played against air force uh previously is hilarious so i, I mean maybe I, maybe things change and they play well especially with larry air now being out air force losing to hawaii um, this probably isn't the Air Force team that we saw steamrolling people earlier this year. Um, what are there? Four, there's five teams that can kind of uh, make moves in that conference right now to get to the championship. Yeah, San Jose State, Boise State, Fresno, UNLV, and Air Force have two or lo- two or one losses. Um, the Boise thing is insane. Like, how are <laughs> if you just, like if you just contextualized to someone who wasn't following the mountain west this year like this is 
a bulleted list of all the things that have happened to all these teams throughout this year. And you ask that person to, to, to tell you where Boise state was in the race. They'd be like, Oh, they're behind New Mexico. Like this team has been beyond atrocious all year. No, they're in, they're in like what a four way tie for second or something like makes zero sense. Do you think that's the standards of Boise though? The fact that like typically we're like, yeah, they should win 10 games fairly easily because of Boise being Boise. And now they're just not the same. And that's why it just feels like such a horrible season for them. Garbage play in the non-conference. When you break down intra-game type stuff, like, all right, we see what you're doing in terms of like what the offensive game plan or lack thereof looks like. And then all the off-field stuff that you see in here as well, like all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, to some degree, like the standard is the standard and the standard is not being met. And um, they would, I mean, totally right to kind of get ahead of the game and can Avalos. It's it's just, it's wild that they're still, they, they have had, I believe, like a very easy uh, conference schedule that spe- kind of speaks to how they're, how they've been able to stay in, 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 uh, in the race. What is their last two games? They play one of the teams remaining. They play uh, Air Force and at Utah State. Fresno has the breaker on them, I think. Yeah, Fresno beat them. Uh, so that's good for me. And they yeah. played, Fresno plays New Mexico and San Diego State. And San Diego State is like the worst in the conference. Oh, yeah. Which so is got, wild. It's so weird looking at uh, some of these conference championship, like, you can bet on the, the markets, right? Look, and I, I sometimes some of them I'll look at them, I'll be like, I have to be missing something here, and I very likely am, especially from like a tie break, tiebreaker perspective, because I'm not the kind of person that's going to go read the like conference bylaws to try and figure out what's going on with these things. But like just looking at some of these the numbers, it's just it's some of them are so weird and just don't make a ton of sense to me. Like the AAC. You like I just I bet UTSA yesterday plus five fifty to win the AAC and they're in a three way tie with um, Tulane and SMU Memphis. and Tulane all are undefeated. Memphis is at one loss, so it's between yeah. those four teams. SMU plays Memphis. UTSA goes to Tulane. The interesting thing there potentially, in my opinion, is like what happens if Memphis wins and Tulane wins? What do tiebreakers look like? And that's probably it's probably not favorable to UTSA, and that's why I, like the the lines are what they are. But like I think UTSA can beat Tulane. Tulane has looked like trash for like, for like four weeks at this point. So just get like you the it's priced as if it's basically a coin flip between SMU and Tulane. I just don't like I don't see it that way. Um, but yeah, though it's those are interesting markets. Uh, Far from perfect in terms of trying to like catch them uh, from inter- from the perspective of, like a falling knife. Uh, the, you want to talk about the Big Twelve? I think we have to, right? I think that is yeah. literally what burning the red shirt is here for is talking about the Big Twelve. Yeah, totally. Um, what are, What are your thoughts? I I love seeing a I love seeing a conference kind of do its thing where it just kind Some of gives shady... the finger to the teams leaving on the way out. So. I guess we should really quickly, because I'm positive all of our listeners know what's going on. Basically, the Big 12 has set up a a set up tiebreaker rules like everybody else in the offseason this past year. Everybody agreed upon the rules uh, and what was put in place. Now, 
as people are starting to look at what the actual rules would mean with four different teams at five and two, who would get in. Now people are starting to analyze it. And I think someone essentially called out, you know, Hey, like Oklahoma state could be tied with Kansas state. And uh, who was the other one? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. They've beaten both of them, but they wouldn't get in the championship game to play Texas in this, uh, this, this scenario. And so then I think the big 12 caught, uh, caught onto it and was like, wait a second, we're <laughs> going to change the rules and, uh, and essentially say head to head is the first tiebreaker. And then I think the actual tiebreaker that is first for now is uh, it's, it's win percentage amongst common opponents. I think something like that. So let me update your verbiage slightly there. They didn't change the rules, Chris. They clarified the rules. And then the, 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 like, my understanding is the exact clarification is, okay, it's those three teams tied. Oklahoma State beat both of them, but one of the other teams hasn't played the other two. And the way the rule, like you read that, that, that tiebreaker, and it basically says, like, if all the teams tied have played, have played each other, then head-to-head – if one team is like triumphant over the other two, then head to head is the determining factor here. Otherwise go to the next tiebreaker. So because they haven't all played each other, head to head should not be the determining tiebreaker, but the big 12 is like, well, let us clarify. That's not what this actually means. Since Oklahoma state's beaten both, they move on um, in that, in that, if that situation were to play out reality is, it's not like we're doing the thing right now where we're just talking for the sake of like, we need something to attach our outrage to. Um, right. Like it's not going to play out that way. Texas is going to lose to Iowa state this week. More teams are going to lose. Like you look at the next two weeks for, but all these teams involved, we've got more chaos ahead of us, I think. Uh, but it's funny just to see the big 12, just trying to F the two schools that are, uh, that are on their way out the door. I mean, my thing is it's a battle between what is actually in place and agreed upon versus like what is what should the right thing be? The right thing should be if you beat both the teams you're tied with, you should be in. But I can understand why anybody would say this is what we agreed on and now you're going back on it. So, yeah, it is a, a funny concept that like. I think Oklahoma benefits from this, right? And that is why like the whole Oklahoma getting jobbed would be funny because they're leaving the Big 12, but I think Oklahoma would get the benefit here, right? No. Oklahoma or would State Kansas Well, I'm saying like if they kept the the rules as is. Oh, free um, clarification. I so. Yeah, I think so. Um so I have a, a, I have Oklahoma State and Kansas State uh Big 12 futures and listen, like I could see the rules changing in a way that gets both those teams to the title, right? That like some more clarification can come into play here. Uh, you you can dream. Mox thinks it's not going to happen because of Vegas. Too many people have put money on it. Could you imagine, right? If you're holding on to a Oklahoma ticket and you you know you're not able to even have a shot at it because of. I think that is. I think that actually has some legitimate, st- you know, steam to it. Is the fact that like, ultimately Vegas is going to have a huge part in everything that's college football related. So I would counter to Mox and say, well, what is what does he think's going on with the Sun Belt, where no one was able to bet on James Madison to win the conference, and now all of a sudden 
like all of us that have Sunbelt futures, Vegas is just going to collect all that money. And under the, uh, the tagline of all bets are action. Right. And it like, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So basically you couldn't bet them to win the Sunbelt because they weren't eligible. Right. Now they're eligible to win the Sunbelt. Not officially yet, but they will be. But they will be. That's decided this week, I believe. Yeah. And, and now anybody that bet, period. Wow, what a scheme. Dude, an absolute con. I think I've only seen I think it was the dude who just uh talks uh, who, who like tweets from circa all the time like that was he was the only one who i've said like that was that's their that's their stance but he's also like he had like admitted like he doesn't know what the sun belt is he doesn't follow it so i would think that like enough noise gets made maybe that stance gets retracted i would also think that that is not going to be just an across the board stance like it's a that Listen, if that's the price I have to pay for every now and then getting a TVD under, right, I'll pay it. Um, but it's still annoying uh, that. But and at the same time, my Georgia Southern futures are looking most bleak at this point. Not totally dead, uh, but maybe JMU wins and Vegas says we have to null this because of the, the situation. So, you get your money back. Maybe that's what Vegas, you should be Vegas is a very broad term. You think that it's kind of be going to be like a book by book thing. Probably some pressure if one uh, refunds go across to another one i would think that like you'll probably see a decent amount of refunds across the board if that if something like that were to occur wild what do you think jmu's chances would be in a new year's six bowl game if they're eligible what if they're playing like texas or washington or oregon or something like that i don't know they're they're so one-dimensional right now which is great because i have mcleod and in, in a league where I did not have uh, great quarterbacks and all they do, they just throw every play right now because that dude black Kalon black's been hurt and Lawton doesn't seem very good. So all they just throw all the time and they do so successfully. Um, but one dimensional G five squad against uh, a team with all of those five stars, all that talent and on field production feels tough. Um, and then like they're down their all world uh, best defensive player as well. Right. Not that like, I, I don't know what that actually means, but um, I wouldn't say they have a great chance. Uh, motivation with bowls, right? And like what personnel actually looks like at the time of the bowl being played. Those are like, I, I fuck, dude, I can't wait for bowl season. We're so, we're so close. Like turn over the leaf. So we need the books to start posting lines for uh, starting running backs and backup running backs when, the, and then the starting running back opts out. Like let's, let's start playing those games. Like we're at, we're still getting enough crazy shit happening in the season now where there's still things to take advantage of in prop markets, but overall things have gotten like much more efficient as seasons progress, as you would expect, as more data becomes available, flip that leaf to bull season. And like, let's do, let's start from, let's start from square one and let's play it out a second time. Uh, are you cashing your Iowa over bet Dude, this, check today? Thank you for, thank you for asking. Uh, so, that things could not have run any better on the Iowa front uh, for me this year, given all the various factors. Right? I mean, what do you mean they they lost like they they're Deacon Hill? I mean, if Cade McNamara was quarterback, we would have cashed this a month ago. They're eight and two, uh, and so my I have three three uh, season long bets on them over seven and a half, which cashed over yeah. eight and a half, and now I have shots against John Paddock 
uh, our dog. Uh, like I, it like in our circles, it gets talked about a lot because like we understand how ridiculous it is that this dude is somehow thrown for 500 yards, but it's not getting the national attention that it should. Like, because I think because people that like you watched him play at Ball State last year, right? It was, it was pretty rough. It was pretty bad. It's a, it legitimately feels like he must have gone over under some sort of new sports psychology treatment where it basically like the what when he came out the other side it was just listen you're playing a video game there's no repercussions whatsoever if you screw up just go out and chuck it 40 yards down the field every single play and let let your let isaiah williams and friends ball out um because that's what happened what's happening um so but i feel like going up against iowa this week that like that could turn really bad for him, right like the way that you teams have had success on iowa i'm just parroting a lot of the stuff that i hear from smart people talking about but it's kind of just moving the ball incrementally down the field playing field position um long sustaining drives you chuck it up 40 yards down the field in a one-on-one situation you're probably going to throw a bunch of picks uh right so i mean you could see this not playing out well if like he continues to just uh be a, a superstar john paddock right but you could also see like Iowa goes up 24 nothing, 18 minutes in the game on four turnovers. Um, but we have two shots now to cash the over eight and a half against Illinois and Nebraska. And it's two shots also to win the Big Ten West. They're up two games. The two ga- the t- only two teams that can they can lose it to are the two that they play the next two weeks. So one of those teams would have to go undefeated and they would have to lose both their games. So I feel really good about all my Iowa bets. Illinois plays Northwestern, which, good lord, sneaky, good season for Northwestern. Dude, my big, was... my biggest bet that I made all preseason was their win total under, and yeah, that didn't go well. I mean, I've had, I mean, an, I've had a lot of other stuff go well, so it'll be fine. But that was... the tea leaves were pointing in that direction, so I don't blame right. you for it. Yeah, props to them. Tip your um, hat, better words. Yeah, <laughs> they deserved it after they've been through. After what they've been through. Uh, my favorite thing about the year probably is the Iowa prop game. I mean, I have hammered under receiver yards and over tight end receiving yards like way too much. And it's just incredible the lines that they'll put out. One of my favorite lines just that I, I think somebody at underdog went to Illinois because I don't know why I get tip Ryman props every single week. It's in- incredible. Um, did, did it hit in the 500 yard game? It didn't. I don't think it did. Uh, let me take a quick look. The line for I saw the paddock line when it came out, and I was like, "Ooh, 186." Like this kind of feels like an under. And then I just yeah. didn't do it. I almost bet. I I was gonna spray the board on Iowa passing or Illinois passing game unders, and I was just like, "Eh, this is I like. I'll just walk a little away. bit of work." Yeah. They uh, Tip Ryman did not have a reception. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if you even. I wonder if he even played. To be quite honest, uh, he did. I don't know if he played. He had zero um, targets. I have it reminds me. I need to look to see if this uh, receiver for uh, who played last night, Northern Illinois, played Jalen Johnson or not. But anyways, um, I had three preseason bets uh, that I talked to Pat Mayo with on that one show I did at the very beginning. Yeah. It was Iowa over eight. It was uh, Auburn. I think it was under five and a half which they play New Mexico state, which they're huge favorites. If they beat that, they'll be at six wins. But if they don't, which I wouldn't be surprised 
And then the last one was, um, I think it was under eight and a half for Utah. So let me ask you, Utah plays Arizona in Arizona, which is one of the more surprising teams in 2023. Yeah. Colorado at home. Do you think there's any shot that they, uh, actually it was under eight for Utah. Uh, do you think that they can stay at seven wins? Yeah. Cause remember there was all the question marks with Keithy and rising, which uh, was yeah. perfectly nailed, but they ended up beating Florida. They ended up beating Baylor and then it kind of went downhill because yeah. of that. Yeah. That you can burn that ticket, but yeah, the Auburn know. one's going to cash. Uh, they, oh, I said under. I said under, and they're at five wins. Oh no! Yeah. So I mean, I theor- I talked about it. I didn't actually put money on. I can't yeah. bet on anything like that in, in Georgia. My uh, for my Brandon Chicken uh, preseason article, what I wrote up was the three Iowa overs, and then Louisiana under, which was a long winding path through all their quarterback injuries, losing some games they should have won winning games that they you would have chalked up to L before the season started. But eventually we get to QB3 and we cash uh, when they lose in overtime to Southern Miss. So that was nice. But the third one, uh, the third team I talked about, uh, that's not going to be a, a dub for us. Uh, Florida State under 10 wins. So, yeah. So they've, you know, we, we talked about them as like, a yeah, this is totally way too much hype, right? And I think even Franchise said that too in the podcast you guys did with the ACC and we were all unfortunately wrong, right? I guess. I mean, they, they've played a bunch of close games. They haven't, they've looked really impressive only a couple times this year. And in hindsight, it's like, all right, against the Clemson team, that's got like four or five losses. And even that game, they could have lost. And then the LSU game, we've seen what that defense is like. So I feel like they've ran, obviously, they've ran as well as they could, right? They haven't lost the game yet, but they like some of these games. They, they like, how do you only beat that Miami team by seven? And you like, you could have very easily lost that game. Like, I'm not, I'm not bitter at all. Um, but it feels kind of ridiculous for them to be undefeated. They just really haven't consistently played anybody. I feel like, so like, yeah, if they were to, I don't think Miami's all that great, but like if Miami, if they had to play similar Miami type teams, you know, consistently it might hurt them a little bit more, but they just haven't really played anybody before we, we finish this up. Virginia tech is in contention to still make the ACC championship game. Have you seen this? Dude, it's something it, it's not that insane, right? It's, it's not the insane thing is, is it that you need UNC to lose two games? Uh, let me see if I can pull it up, but I think we need UNC to win out. Cause we, okay. I can't, there's thir- the it's essentially where... three teams need to win out for, uh, is this the thing where it the the tiebreaker is some metric that some third party just invented? Or, <laughs> I have no idea. There, I have, a, a, have no idea about the. T- I, if you want to you know, talk about you not with tiebreaker, you want to hear something wild. Thing. You want to hear something wild. Your boy, uh, the uh, unabated uh, college football Twitter account, just tweeted this. Luke Altmaier is cleared to play and will start. So they're putting Paddock back on the bench. I he's a little bit of a gunslinger more, more so than Paddock. I think Paddock is, I don't know. I think Altmaier's got some ability to run, which is why I think he's a little bit more fun, but I don't yeah. know. I, I, uh, I feel more confident in Iowa now with Altmaier at the helm than Paddock. I think. So this is the Virginia Tech gets in the ACC championship game scenario, okay? Okay. 
Um, if UNC beats Clemson and NC State, if Louisville loses to Miami and Michigan beats NC State and Virginia, we're in because of like some weird common opponent thing, which is Virginia, NC State, Pitt, Tech won all those games. Uh, and then it creates this, some other weird scenario. But there's a, I think there's actually maybe a second scenario that is a little bit steeper. So I won't mention it, but that doesn't feel that weird. Louisville, is Louisville actually good or like, like, could Miami actually beat them? Probably, but I, TBD I is I back at quarterback, right? Because um, what's his name? Emory is hurt. Yeah, I, I'm considering spraying props on all the receiver unders, but I want to wait and see. Like, all that's up there now is FanDuel. They're all low. Um, but so I want before I just fire unders and on one book, I'd like to see if there I get there's bare numbers for one or two across when everything when the full slate, slate comes up. Um, I think Louisville's good. I think that, like, okay, this, it's year one under Brom, uh, right? They He's doing an amazing job. Def, like, the idea that they would just slaughter every single team, like, that's not a standard that it makes sense to hold them to. Uh, but I think they're good. I think that they're not incredible, um, but... Are they a one loss team quality of good? Probably not, but like they probably played up to like a two or three loss uh, standard at this point, which is better and like better than Miami. Could I see this game being tight? It'll probably be tight. This, I think this Miami is ripe for unders. I mean, I'm just looking yeah. at like the game against Florida State. I just don't know uh, what's the path to Miami winning this. And it's probably controlling the football and running it, right? Like, yeah, their best. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who their best players are, but it doesn't seem to be. Are you a big Brent Pry fan at this point? I think so. I think he's doing enough. And I mean, if you would have told me five wins at the beginning of the year, I I probably would have taken it. I mean, if we're we could very easily hit six wins. I mean, we beat Virginia. I think the Virginia game matters because, like, I think we kind of have to win that one. That definitely is like a. You know, hey, if you're going to win five games, one of the or six games, one of those better be your rival type. You know, um, and so I do think I'm happy with Pry. I think he obviously gets another year. Yeah, but uh, it are. helps that he's been they've been better. You know, they're four and two in their last six. They started one and three, right? Like that yeah. helps, right? If it was reverse, it's a much different story. So you you probably actually watched them. So my, tell me if I'm in the wrong with this, but. My gut instinct is more of the credit for this is just letting Kyron Drones be an alien on the field and unleashing him more so than anything that the coaching staff and Pride specifically is actually doing. Like that, and I feel very similarly about Castellanos and Jeff Halfley. Like, can that dude? Like, just because you got lucky that Castellanos decided to come aboard and when you get multiple games by himself. Um, like, I don't think that, like, I, I, I could see this being a situation where with both those coaches where cool, you won six or seven games, here's five years. And then within 18 months, it's a disaster. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they would ever extend them at this point. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't, That's how these things work. You dude, show you any you kind of an extension and- for winning six games, you know, he won two games last year. Right. So <laughs> You know, if you don't get an extension yet, next year would be a different story. I do think it is obviously drones. I think the Bowen, the offensive coordinator, has improved. Uh, he was pretty boring 
Um, it comes from the Jags and Penn State, and it's just tight end guy. Those are always a little bit interesting to see how they perform. But, you know, I think there's a little bit of game manager to him, right? Like, I don't think Tech has any issue with that because Beamer was a special teams coach, right? So, like, I think there's almost, like, this weird thought in the back of our heads, like, yeah, we don't want our guy to be one or the other. He needs to be a manager of the team type of thing. I don't know. If uh, I would be upset if they extended him, that's for sure. But I think there's no reason to to put him in any, on any sort of hot seat. Fast forward to what is now, I'm stealing your phrase, my yearly tax write-off uh, champion series, March 2023, first draft. What round do Castellanos and Drones go? Um, that's a good question. I would say probably not as high as you'd think. I mean, think about where you know, all the different good mobile quarterbacks were going last this past off season, like Daniels and Finn and um, yeah. even like a Rourke who has a better background than these guys. So I would probably say like a, like a Donovan Smith and the horns be before that. I'd say like eight to 10th round is probably their where they, where they end up. I don't know if that's where they start, but, I could see people being super aggressive on him. At the end of the day, this tech offense isn't going to be super consistent. And I don't think, I mean, while it's helpful that drones is super great on his, on the ground, like the receiver core is just rough and doesn't give him any help. So <laughs> I would say eight to 10th round. What, are, what were you thinking? Castellanos, I think gets grabbed in like the five, six range drones. I could see pushing down to like 13, 14, but so averaging out to kind of what you say, but yeah, that's kind of and like I, depending on how he finishes, like let's say Cassianos blows up for like a four TD bowl game against some G five uh, team, like I could see him going top three rounds. It's all about the bowl game too, right? <laughs> that lasting yeah. impression, the final impression, right? Um, that will certainly have an impact on where these guys go. But I mean, Ali Jennings is, I think, theoretically going to be coming back for Tech, which uh, is yeah, a, yeah, yeah. which yeah. is like one of those weird positives i guess you wish you would have had them this year but anyways do you want to talk rebrand of burning the red shirt you're we haven't, talk, we haven't talked to zach about this yeah i don't know if zach knows but i guess he'll find out i think ultimately the idea here is that life has gotten in the way shame on kids and jobs and stuff we want to be considered the premier off-season college football podcast we will provide as much value and fun as we can during the season but I think once bowl season hits, that's when our season begins at Burning the Red. I think bowl season, I should have no issue finding time. Same with Andrew and Zach. And then uh, we can really get it running until again, you know, mid to late August. And then I think, um, I think this also like, it, you know, this isn't any sort of cop out, but this is like how I'll be playing fantasy next year too, is I'm not going to, I just, I'm having a kid in winter. I don't think I'll be able to do daily fantasy as much. The return isn't as great as it used to be. And ultimately, like, I'm not going to put my kid in a situation like that where I'm ignoring her, even though she'll be less than one year old. So I'll be doing more props. And hence why I've naturally leaned on more props in conversation today. So I think ultimately the season's tough. We have too many things going on. We're around. But the off season is where we're going to try to shine the most. Did I say that well enough? Yeah, very eloquently. I, I I'm... That's kind of how I've I've skewed uh, my in-season play as well, D DFS versus uh, props. I still, like, when it comes to props, because so much of the uh, 
value comes relative to hitting openers that could pop at any moment, right? I still find myself kind of uh, not being as as present as I would as I should be in terms of just having my my face in my phone uh, while I'm like in what should be more kind of family centric time. It's something I'm trying to improve on, uh, but it's tough because I'm an addict, um, right? Uh, but uh, daily fantasy, like. The, it's it's different in the sen- sense of like what the grind looks like because it's not necessarily about just getting push notifications or pulling up an app and skimming through the prop market real quick and then it takes like two minutes and you put it back down. The daily fantasy grind is literally investing on, like all Saturday morning, right? Or all of like a couple hours leading up to a sleep in order for, like you said, like, to, for a hope of being plus EV. <laughs> it's like a totally different game. Um, and especially like when you factor in like the person that you want to be outside of, like from a family perspective, like it just doesn't make as much sense. Like I, when I play daily fantasy at this point, um, it, I do more weeknight stuff um, because like, okay, less games I can jam lineups in. Like I know most of the information or can get my hands on it in the few minutes like the 15 minutes leading up to the game i could jam some lineups in fine i don't play much uh on saturdays except like if i can mess around with a night slate and feel like i'm not totally dead i'll do it um but okay getting back to the actual point uh just in terms of burning the red shirt right like there's so many uh other awesome podcasts and just people that are putting out content that is structured in nature and is going to offer actual value for uh, people that want to seek it out intra-season. Um, not necessarily, like, not even through the lens of, oh, tr- looking to compete or not compete with that. More so is like, okay, the way that we want to kind of do our thing and um, the content that we want to create, it's just like it dovetails more perfectly with what is fun to talk about and what makes sense to talk about in the off-season. Um, so it's our natural home for a media forum and that coupled with what kind of our, our time allocation looks like once the season kicks off, it all just makes a ton of sense. Yep. Well, it's been fun to get back to it. I told Andrew, Hey, 30 to 45 minutes and here we are over an hour. That's just how <laughs> much I've enjoyed this, uh, and how long uh, a couple of Andrew's monologues have been. Uh, but hope you guys enjoyed it. We will be back for bowl season at the very least. There's some good time off there. And the, I think bowl season is like right up our alley. As Dude, well. Let's so we, go. You, you carve out the time for stuff. That's really fun for you. So I think the bowl season's right there, but uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll talk to you guys soon, hopefully, and uh, enjoy the games this weekend. <laughs>